You're listening to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, your daily podcast on the National Football League, powered by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, breaking down defensive tackles today, ranking the interior defensive line class for the 2001 NFL draft maybe some sleepers it's not a top heavy class so uh maybe one two first round type guys so we'll get into that class and what we think about it and and what team's strategies might be when they are attacking their interior defensive line in the 2001 draft most likely a lot of uh, day two day three type of selections there with this class and some news here some stuff i want to throw by you matt at williamson nfl is where you can find matt on twitter at bd peacock is where you can find me if you want to get some questions in for next tuesday's twitter tuesday episode it's almost draft week matt next week is the nfl draft we're almost a week away can you believe it yeah tomorrow's show will be one week from draft day i mean i i am ready um i feel like i'm more prepared than ever but it's a weirder year than ever it's a stranger year than ever. I feel like I'm prepared somewhat, but I also feel like teams will vary more than ever. So I think there's going to be more scrambling as well. Like maybe one of those years where the the earliest you ever hear a player, you're like, wait, who is that? I I, I looked at 200 <laughs> players and I've never even heard of this guy, right? Out of like Ball State, right? What? And, uh, and it turns out, oh, every team loved this guy. And you never heard a peep about him throughout the entire draft process. So I love that kind of stuff. And look, and we know we've jumped the shark a little bit with some of this because I saw a report today. This from uh, Jeff Mosher, who covers the Eagles. New head coach Nick Sirianni was on a Zoom conference. He said he played paper, rock, paper, scissors with draft prospects on Zoom to measure their competitiveness. And he was not kidding about that. Oh, Matt, boy. your thoughts about the process in the Eagles draft room? Wow. Um, I hope that's not all you're basing their competitiveness on. I mean, rock, paper, scissors, there's no skill to that one either. I mean, at least play checkers or tic-tac-toe or something that takes a little bit of skill. Come on. I mean, I'm shaking my head at that, to be honest with you. See, this is what happens when, because, you know, I've been been a draft nick for a long time following the NFL draft, and I do this thing with the 49ers have been doing it since 2013 I call it the shadow 49ers draft and when the 49ers are on the clock I'm on the clock I get one shot I don't get to go in because hindsight scouting gets pretty annoying right when you talk yeah, about oh 198 right. teams passed on Tom Brady and you're trying to talk about how someone drafted Tim Rattay instead of Tom Brady you know 20 years I ago taken Brady in the third round yeah exactly <laughs> it's like oh mouth, where was your mouth. Yeah, right. yeah where was your draft board so for me it's like look I and I have evaluations and I remember how the drafts go but I was like look I would have drafted literally this one guy on the clock that year. So I have that chip in my back pocket when I cover this stuff. And it's just interesting because I thought, you know, hey, maybe maybe I could do this. And let's see what a player I would take. Scouting department of one versus somebody who's spending millions of dollars on this and gets it wrong so often. Why are they getting it wrong? Let me dive into this process, make my picks and stuff like that. So as soon as I do that, every year, right after the draft, I reveal my shadow class and the players I would have taken on the clock. And obviously some fans always get really mad about it. And they say... Things like, I think they know a little bit more about what they're doing than you do. And now I have a perfect response for it. You'd be like, oh, do you? How about this process? Rock, paper, scissors. You think that's better than what my process was for picking out your draft prospects? I like what you do, though. I mean, that's a good way of putting yourself, you know, uh, hold yourself accountable. You know, at 823 Eastern, my team was on the clock and these are the players (laughs) off the board. I would have gone here. Boom. Set it in stone. I can't change my answer years down the road. And I'm sure you and I would do fine 
probably through the first four rounds or so. And then my hunch is not to speak for you, but when it gets late, I would start taking people I knew and why did they fall and not knowing why they fell. There's probably a really good reason that they fell as opposed to the guy that's not a household name that, you know, lasts in the league five years, a special teamer. It's amazing you said that because that's exactly what I've found. It's I've been really? so much better and, in fact, better than the actual 49ers in rounds one through four. The Happy. early picks wow. because that's where I have the most information. That's where I do the most work. When it gets into the later rounds is where my picks get worse and the real team's picks get a lot better in comparison. So yeah, it's an, it's sense. amazing you say that because that's exactly what I've found. And it's fun because you learn about your own process and you learn oh what works, what doesn't. You know, I loved uh, – you know, uh, we talked about Tavon Austin when we talked about wide receivers. It's like, that's fun in college, fun tape to watch, but it doesn't translate as well to the NFL. Ryan Motes was one of those types of players for me, running back out of uh, Louisiana Tech. Oh, yeah. And he was like, oh, this is next Barry Sanders. He's like little mini Barry Sanders out there. And it's like, well, you don't get to just juke everybody all day long in the NFL. You don't run by guys. And so you learn things about competitive toughness and, and receivers who need to catch the ball through contact and, um, you know, pass rushers that need to convert speed to power, not just run around slow-footed offensive tackles and those types of things. So you learn a lot about your process. You learn about players you miss on, like Doriel Greenbeckham. You're like, oh, this guy's a stud. And you're like, oh, yeah, there's off-field stuff that might derail this guy's career. So you learn oh, a ton I through the process, it. too, which makes this whole thing fun. It's, and there's so many different ways a player can be good or not good. Landing spot, injuries. I mean, there's so many things. And it just blows my mind that rock, paper, scissors would even be something that would be a part of the process that they would even allow him to do that. Like, how does that even pass anything you know I, uh, it just and then taking a step further i can't believe he told somebody in the media that. like <laughs> even if he did it like keep that to yourself you know right. like uh, you ran out of things to talk about this with this young man so let's play rock paper scissors I mean, okay if, that might be kind of funny you know if you like, like to know him and laugh you know if he challenged him to a wrestling match you're right. You like if you're, you know, most years when you're in the combine, if you just like tried to fight the guy, that would make more sense to me. Right. See how competitive he is. <laughs> right. See what happens right. when when the S really hits the fan, when stuff's really going down. Find out rock, paper, scissors. I mean, come on. And he actually said that. And in sounds like bragging maybe about it. Like, hey, look how smart I am. I figured this thing out. Uh, it just it's unbelievable. And so to me, what I see when I when I hear these things is like, man, I wish I was part of a front office and could compete against that. Yes, 100%. Again, I mean, not the harp on it, because it's, it's really dumb. But, uh, I mean, even like a super – if you really want to judge competitiveness in a young man, you know, great. But I don't get mad if I lose rock, paper, scissors. There's no skill to it whatsoever. You know, I mean, every time I throw out scissors or rock or paper, I got a 50% chance of winning. I mean, there's I, – I, if I'm the most competitive human being in, on the planet – I didn't do anything wrong because I picked scissors. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so stupid. If you're losing checkers, you at least screwed up, you know, or right. tic-tac-toe or, you know. Right. Yeah. It's completely Dumb. unbelievable. All right. Moving on from that, we, we talked right. a lot about wide receivers yesterday, and it was reported by Albert Breer that during the medical rechecks in Indianapolis, Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith measured in at only 166 pounds, down from 170 wow. from his pro day. And how about this one? Louisville wide receiver Tutu Atwell, 149 pounds. Your wow. Thoughts? I don't know if I remember anyone <laughs> under 150. 5'8", 149. That's tough. And look, he was only 155 or something in his pro day. So both those guys lost sure. about five pounds or so, which is probably not surprising because if you are that weight, you're that was probably the one thing you were most focused on trying to do. And I don't 
think Devontae Smith even ran a 40. So he's, he was probably just pounded cheeseburgers, whatever he could do to get that weight up, you know, as, as much protein shake as he could possibly drink all day long. He's slim, and he's going to be slim for his entire NFL career. I think he'll probably end up playing in the 170s. I'm sure he'll, like normal people, gain a little bit of weight, but he's slim. Is that a problem for you? How far could he possibly fall in the draft if teams look at that and say, I just don't have a comp for someone who's 166 pounds? It's a problem for me. It has been since day one. 166 doesn't bother me any more than 170 because I knew 170 was inflated. Like you said, I mean, he just guzzled water and ate cheeseburgers just so he could hit that mark. And that's not really his playing weight. He's an exceptional player, but I don't like betting on exceptions to the rules. I mean, he'd have to sort of be a unicorn. I mean, I understand Marvin Harrison and Isaac Bruce and some of these comparisons, and he's phenomenal on tape. But it's a big man's game. Um, It worries me. It really does. I mean, I'm not saying he's ever going to be a bust. I just don't know that he can be a star. It's interesting, though. I was thinking, you mentioned Tavon Austin just a couple minutes ago. And it dawned on me, like, you know, we talked about how receiver toughness and physicality is a very underrated trait. But is it in this class with so many small Rondell Moore's, Elijah Moore's, you know, on and on and on. Is is the game changing? I tend to think not. I still think mm. that you can't overlook the physicality and the toughness you have to play that position with. Well, the game is changing. And so if you look at yes. it like um, a skewed percentage of what's happening on the other side of the ball. So back in the day, a wide receiver who weighs 190 pounds might run a slant and run into a linebacker who weighs 250 pounds. But now you have linebackers that are weighing 220, uh, 217 in some cases. And so what's the percentage of weight that a wide receiver should be now? And does that matter? And with how little DBs are allowed to put your hands on a guy. And that's why I love DeFonde Smith so much. It's like, okay, skinny, fine. But that didn't bother him. It didn't hurt him at all on the college level. Will it maybe in the pros? I guess potentially. But I just didn't see it bother him at all. And he is an outlier, so that worries me a little bit. But that just means I think I'm going to get a steal in Devontae Smith because I don't have to take him in the top 10. And that's what I'm looking at, you know, Jalen Waddell at pick six versus Devontae Smith at pick 12. And you get a first-round pick on top, top of it. Give me Devontae Smith and a first-round pick all day long versus Waddle at pick six. And so when you look at that swap between Philly and Miami, I, I like Devontae Smith. I think he was better than all the Alabama wide receivers, and his weight never bothered him on the – if you saw it on tape and you saw him get bullied around, that'd be one thing, but he didn't. Right. Yeah, and it wasn't like he was in the Mac or the Mountain West. Right. Or, you know, I mean, he was playing big time corners, LSU, all these guys, not to mention whoever he lined up in practice against time and time again. Um, I'm not worried about him going over the middle and taking a big hit. You know, like those things don't even happen as much as they used to. There's right. no, you know, Ronnie Lawton in the middle of the field taking people's heads off anymore. What would what is the thing I'm going to watch the most? And I urge everyone to do it wherever Devontae Smith lands, watch his preseason tape or even early season tape when he's in press man coverage. And if that corner is pushing him to the to the sideline and really starting to shield him off and get to use that sideline as an extra defender, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a little worried. But right now, you didn't see it in college. And real that's... quick, though, as for Tutu, though. People double his size are going to tackle him at the next level. 
double. There's, I mean, there's a limit to the size thing. You know, he's yeah. Smith is over six feet. You see it on tape. He goes up, makes catches in traffic. Arm. Tutu Atwell is not even that type of guy anyway. And I would be a lot more comfortable with Rondale Moore at five seven because yes. he's what 190 pounds or whatever he was. He's rocked he's up. Thick he's and strong. Built, yeah. Uh, versus someone like Tutu Atwell, where essentially you just he, he you hope people aren't touching him. That he has to be that athletic that he's he's not really getting touched. Right. And that's not the way the world works. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always go back to the hash marks. It's a lot different when you have this very wide side of the field. It's a lot harder to defend those type of dudes. Now everybody can run all the line. Like you said, the linebackers are 220, but they run a 4-4 or 4-5. You know, they're going to get angles on you. I don't think I can use a day two pick on Atwell. Yeah, I don't think I can either. Day three for sure for Atwell. Then have some fun, return some kicks, and see what you get there with, you know, uh, a yeah. lot less draft capital put into that sort of a, a player that you're hoping can survive in the NFL potentially at 149 pounds. Wow. All right. I mean, even like ends arounds and jet motions. I mean, what yeah. if he runs into Miles Garrett? <laughs> you know, like it's not going to go well. Yeah. Who, who, by the way, ran what four? Five? Yeah, he's not much slower. Right. Okay, um, let's move on. We've got to talk defensive tackles. Maybe uh, it's not a long conversation for DTs. No, it's a bad So there's a couple other things I want to talk about next, then we'll talk defensive tackles, rank those guys at the top of the NFL draft. This episode is brought to you by 1010, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced, limited edition designs at fair price points. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today, rings sure to bring joy into her life. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 female design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful ring, ideal for engagement, Mother's Day, or simply a beautiful conversation piece. They're the perfect way to bring light into her life. They're available now through Mother's Day only on BlueNile.com. Just search the words 10 by 10. This collection features high-quality, fine jewelry that will surprise and delight and fairly priced, so you can give her something special and truly meaningful this Mother's Day. They won't be around for long, so find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 only at BlueNile.com. Been talking a lot about props at BetOnline.ag, but we got win totals up for the 2021 NFL season. Hmm, could those change a little bit post-draft? The Kansas City Chiefs, 12 and a half over under on wins. Their opening total was 11 and a half last year. 14 wins in 2020. Is that an easy over for the Kansas City Chiefs who have been to back-to-back Super Bowls? What about the champs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers? They're over under four wins in 2021 is 12. What about your team? The Jacksonville Jaguars, six wins. Be a nice improvement for Jacksonville. And I think they have a quarterback and a head coach, first-timers in the NFL that are not used to losing. BetOnline.ag draft props, over-unders on win totals in 2021, NBA, NHL, Major League, baseball, table games, poker. All you got to do to get involved in the action is head to the website at BetOnline.ag or the mobile app. Use promo code LOCKEDON when signing up to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, One bit of news we haven't talked about yet. The Steelers signed head coach Mike Tomlin to a three-year contract extension. Got a question from Joshua on Twitter that maybe we'll we'll tease for next week on Tuesday talking about ranking organizations in terms of long-term stability. And I don't think it's um I think it's pretty telling about what's going on in Pittsburgh, how 
good they've been for how long, and stability is a huge part of that. So they would rank near the top as far as stability goes. And I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on the extension for Mike Tomlin and the job he's done there in, in Pittsburgh and what that future might look like for him when he's got to change quarterbacks for the first time. I mean, to put it in perspective, I'm 47 years old, and I've seen and there's been three head coaches here in my lifetime. All have won Super Bowls. All have lifetime winning records. Two of them are in the Hall of Fame. I think if Cower's in, well, he goes in this year. I think Tomlin's got. I think Tomlin's better than Cower. So if if Cower's the new low bar for coaches in the Hall of Fame, I think Tomlin goes. It's crazy. I mean, I guess I haven't had my Steelers show since this happened. I'm going to go record that one after we hang up. But the coach gets a three year extension, and it's not even like news around here. Just oh, okay, yeah, you know, yeah, of course he did. Goes. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the news would be if if there was like, oh, maybe they'll go get a new coach or fire their head coach, right? Because that just yeah. doesn't happen. I mean, most fans, my son's 14 years old, rabid Steeler, Steeler fan, football fan. He doesn't remember Cower. You know, like they don't know any different. Wow, that's pretty amazing. It is. And I do, I've seen that stability firsthand, and it's one of the best assets of that organization. And it goes even to the players, you know, like Aaron Smith hands down the reins to Cam Hayward, you know what I mean? Like just mm-hmm. things like that. It just, it, it, and, and I mean, Tomlin's never had a losing season. And, you know, that, that, that speaks volumes. I mean, I don't think he's Belichick, don't get me wrong, but you go that long without a losing season in the AFC North. It's something to be said for that. It makes you think that there's got to be some sort of a plan, though, with Big Ben and passing that baton, right? It, it, you think there's? I think a, that's next year's project. Next year, so you don't think they're looking yeah. at that in the draft at all, or are even worried about that no. right now? Okay. I think they're building the nest for next year, and they'll have a lot of cap room. They'll have a lot of extra picks. I think this year is their version of a rebuild, which they probably still win nine games and maybe even are the seventh seed in the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like they signed a lot of guys to one year deals. I think this is their version of a rebuild. We're going to run it back with Ben. We didn't have the options to bring in somebody else this year. Yeah. We're going to go to Cam Hayward and Watt and DeCastro and say, you know, we're going to give one more shot here. And in the meantime, we're going to create a running game in the draft and find have a lot of resources to go get next quarterback next year. One more quick bit of news before we get to defensive tackles from Ian Rappaport, talking about the Dolphins, who have already made the moves to go to 12 and then back to 6, said that they may not be done yet. Sources say the Miami Dolphins have received calls from teams looking to trade up to number 6, and it is something they're considering. A lot of things in play, but Miami could be at it again. What what are are the Dolphins doing here? Because they obviously wanted to be at 6 for a reason, did not want to be at 12, and were willing to give up a first-round pick for it. Did they maybe miscalculate how much people liked, say, uh, Kyle Pitts? And maybe they thought six is where they could get Kyle Pitts and are finding out, oh, gosh, we can't get him here now, so maybe we have to think about moving down a little bit. I thought for sure it was something like, okay, we like Kyle Pitts, and we like Penny Sewell, and we like Jamar Chase, and we're guaranteed one of them, so let's go to six. And then and that, if that's the case, then you probably wouldn't be moving out, right? I took it the other way, but also very Pitts-oriented in that – what if they know four quarterbacks are going in the top four and since he's taken Penny Sewell and the whole league knows that and it's not been revealed to you and I yet and therefore six teams are calling them four pits. Interesting. That's the way I took it, you know, is because six is the ideal spot. You know, I mean, you're going to get Sewell, Pitts, or Chase and probably have a choice of two of them when it's all said and done. They went to six for a reason. 
But if the world knows who the top five are, four quarterbacks and Sewell, and you're sitting there with a you know a lottery ticket, maybe you'll take three picks for it. You know, and maybe you still you like Kaseki. right. Maybe you still like a couple, two, three guys, and there's a team at eight, nine, and you're pretty sure that if it's a fifth quarterback that goes to six, then you're going to get one of those guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the only team. Unless somebody wants to trade up for that spot for the the fifth quarterback, Interesting. maybe that's it. Maybe Denver's calling them saying, "We know since he's not going to take one, we'll take whoever the fifth quarterback is." Or it's like, "Here's two more first round picks." So in the end, you have more picks and a higher pick than twelve. So you know you're still yeah, right, you're right. still profiting and you're drafting higher than you were before, just doing the same moves, even though you're not getting the guy you maybe wanted to get at six. Yeah, and this front office in Miami has shown, let's bring in a lot of stuff. You know, I mean, they're not, they haven't traded up, you know, they, they bring in a lot of picks and realizing they're not going to hit on all of them. I don't know. I mean, I, I tend to think not to refute the, the, the story, but sitting at six isn't such a bad spot. And I would have a feeling that we should hear this kind of stuff from more teams because everybody wants teams to be calling them, even if they're not going right, to move out. Right, they right. just want those offers, right? They want to be in charge of the draft or feel like they are at least. Let the world know you're fielding offers. It's smart. Right, and I have a feeling that's what's going on. We've heard a lot of those things about Atlanta, but in the end, I just don't think Atlanta's going to move the more I think about it and the more I hear about what they're doing. And it's like, if you like a quarterback, you're not moving out. If you like Pitts, you're not moving out. So what does a team have to give you to get up to that spot? It might be too expensive, and I don't know. So in the end, I think maybe they're not going to move after all. We'll see. I mean, the harder decision in Atlanta might be Fields or Lance versus Pitts as opposed to getting out of here or staying. Let's get to this defensive tackle class, and the top is easy. I want to talk about the first. <laughs> I want to talk about it's the first really two guys. Bad. So there, there's the top guy, Christian Barmore. Is pretty much the only defensive yeah. tackle that you see going in the first round of mock drafts out of Alabama. Red shirt sophomore, early entry into the the draft. I think he didn't get a lot of pub in his career because he was so young. Sometimes those sophomore guys that come out, they're not on the draft radar. They didn't get pumped up all year long like juniors would be because people aren't necessarily expecting them to come out. So Christian Barmore, I think, is very good chance he goes in the first round. Might go higher than people expect because of the lack of high-end talent in the rest of the interior defensive line class, you might not get a starting caliber guy right away in the second round, although there are some players I like, you know, and just fits the mold, right? He went to Alabama, 6'4", 3'10", sure. sub, five-second, 40-yard dash, long arms, big hands, uh, you know, just the, the entire package for, you know, just sort of a do-it-all type of a interior defensive lineman that should be able to get after the quarterback as well. So he just checks so many boxes. He's your first-round guy. And to me, there's only one other player that might sneak into the first round. And the more I watch him, the more I like, but uh, Levi Onzurike, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. 6'3", 290, a little bit undersized, but super athletic. This guy jumps off the line and just gives people problems and lives in opponent's backfield. So if you're okay with sort of that really undersized, three-technique, under-tackle, penetrating type of a guy, then Levi, late round one, early round two, might be your guy. But those are really the only players that, like remotely in the conversation of the first round. Agreed. And most years, I think they're the fourth and fifth D-tackle off the board, and they go 40th you know, in that neighborhood. And they probably will get inflated a little. And they both have good upside. Um, I don't think Barmore can be... Chris Jones or DeForest Buckner, you know, I mean, he certainly isn't, isn't Quinton mm-hmm. Williams, but he played his best football when it mattered most down the stretch. And there's a lot of tools there. Levi to me is 
a Geno Atkins type. You know, I mean, uh, he's going to win with really good leverage and explosion off the ball. That's great, but what else do you do? You know, I mean, that that's wonderful, and those are great traits to have. I wish I'd have seen more, you know, wish I'd have seen him this past year. And there's probably enough teams in enough schemes where defensive coaches see him and go, nope, 6-2 and 7-8, 290. Yeah. You, you can't draft him that high because he's a part-time player or whatever. And, and, you know, people got it way wrong with Aaron Donald, and that'll be the comp for Levi's. You're hoping you're getting, you know, the poor man's version of that and a really disruptive player. So I, I'm really interested to see how teams look at him, but I, I would bet money he's not a first-round pick in the end. I, I agree. You know, it'll be a... And I'm sure he'll play every passing down as he learns, and that's a valuable skill to have. But I think he's a top 40 player, top 50 player, you know, not a not a first rounder. But this year, maybe, you know, maybe Tampa just says we'll add him to the rotation and go from there. And while there's not a lot of first round type caliber guys, there are some fun players there. So let's talk about some of the sleepers and some of the other day two and day three guys that we mm-hmm. like in the interior defensive line class next. The winner of Built Bar Madness, the best flavor as voted on by Built Bar Eaters, Coconut Brownie Chunk, is now back in stock at BuiltBar.com. Go pick yourself up a box. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off or build your own box of any flavors you want of Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. 130 calories, 17 grams of protein, only 4 grams of sugar. It is fantastic. Other new flavors like caramel brownie, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp to go with their 12 original flavors. My favorite is peanut butter that I always talk about. Bars are covered in, this is the best part, 100% chocolate. Get some yourself at 15% off with promo code LOCKED15. That's locked 15 for 15% off your next box of Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. I want to highlight a guy that maybe he could go higher than people expect. He's sort of a, a hybrid tackle and 6'3", 284 pounds. Ran a 4'6", 340, so teams are going to say, oh, oh this, is, this is a big end. This guy can play big end, move inside. Milton Williams, interesting prospect, sort of late for me on the radar. I'm sure teams have loved this guy for a while out of Louisiana Tech. And I think Dane Brugler had him in his top four prospects on the beast. And he's a really plugged in analyst. So um, sort of a tweener, but Milton Williams out of Louisiana Tech. Look out for that name. Yeah, I wonder if he's Michael Bennett, you know, or something, you know, something like Ooh, that. Maybe one. a yeah. base end in a four, three bounce inside all kinds of talent. You know, he's a perfect example of when defensive line coaches start to really get involved in the process. He flashes like crazy on tape, but isn't a refined prospect. He's one I bet goes higher. Whatever his Vegas odds are for what pick he is overall, I will go under earlier. I bet he goes pretty high in this draft and really benefits from a weak class, too. And just looking at his height, weight, speed stuff, super athletic for someone who might play inside, but the the short arms is what probably will give teams pause about putting them outside full-time and battling with defense or offensive tackles on third downs, which is why he projects maybe a little bit more inside, 31.5-inch arm length, which is some of the smallest in this entire class. Yeah, I think he could be the third guy off this list off the board, but there's a lot of bust potential there, too. I mean, they're just traits. Do we have another favorites here, some some – Day two, day three guys that you really like in this class? We haven't talked about Marlon Tui uh, Pulotu from USC yet, who's somebody that might be in that range, a little shorter, squattier type of defensive tackle. Yeah, both the USC guys, I don't feel, to be very honest, I don't feel like I have a great handle on them. 
and it doesn't even bother me. I'm not blown away by them. I think they're day two players that are probably be solid pros. Um, Davion Nixon from Iowa has a lot of traits, but a lot of inconsistency. Two of my favorites that aren't going to be first two round guys are Tommy Togai, Togiai from Ohio State and Ali McNeil from NC State. Ali McNeil, we talked about Steelers. He reminds me of Javon Hargrave. You know, I mean, they didn't ask him to penetrate much, but when he did, really athletic. High school running back at over 300 pounds. I mean, he's a, a chance to have a much more productive pro career than college. They just lined him up as a zero technique, and he ate up blocks. He could do more than that. Yeah, that that sand in the pants, right? Just under mm-hmm. 6'2", 317 pounds. Hargrave, that's a nice comp there. I like that pull from him from... Big, uh, thick butt. Yeah, big, know? thick butt, but then still athletic. You ran a sub-5, 40-yard dash and and can explode out of his stance. Really young, too. He's not even 21 years old. So, yeah. um, Aleem McNeil is absolutely an interesting name because you can plug him in on early downs as a defensive tackle, but might give you a little bit of something on third downs as well. Osa Odigazua is another name out of UCLA mm-hmm. who's uh, undersized, 6'1 and a half, 282. He's going to have to be a sub-package player, but you're going to maybe get him early day three. So, you know, that's that's solid value for someone who could be a rotational player. Player, and then maybe prove to be more. Maybe, maybe. I mean, again, uh, smaller, compact, gets off the ball with quickness, good athlete, um, a, a tough guy. I guess he's got a strong wrestling background, which I like. He's a good leverage player. That's fine. Uh, I, I think one conversation that's really interesting, though, is, is Tyler Shelvin at LSU. I, I mean, I'm sure he's a, at best a third-round pick, but – Five, ten years ago, he's a first-rounder. I mean, he's Will Fork. He's <laughs> yeah. Casey Hampton. You know what I mean? I mean, he is the prototype nose. I'm really interested to see how high he goes. Nose tackles are on the field less and less. So, 6'2", yeah. 350 pounds. Plug him in the middle on first down, then get him off the field, essentially. So, those, are, those type of players are dying out, not going high at all. But uh, he's got... That trump card on draft day where a team's like, look, we run an odd front. We need a nose tackle. He's the dude. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the Steelers are going to take him. But if you play the Browns and the Ravens twice a year each, you know what I mean? Like, maybe since he should grab him in the top of the fourth round. or You know what I mean? Like, nose tackles are a dying breed. But there's games when if you don't have one, you really regret it. (laughs) <laughs> and they're just gouging you in the middle, you know? The the 8.153 cone. Ooh. You hate to see that. You hate to see the, the three-cone time start with an 8. But he's 6'2", 350. I mean, like, he's uh, he's not out there for his speed, that's for sure. No. I mean, he may take a center and walk him back in the pocket here and there. But he does one thing well, and he does it as well, better than anybody on this list. How about this one? Positionless football, maybe? I mean, this is LeVon Kirkland. Six feet, 278 pounds, Darius Stills out of West Virginia. Where do you where do you even play that guy? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Probably nowhere. I mean, what if he's a fullback? Oh, the, especially that goal line fullback where you like yeah. to put a defensive tackle in there. Oh, I, I love that. I don't know if you're drafting a guy just for that role, but no, heck right. yeah, put that's him back a, there. Those are strange dimensions. And I hadn't noticed this either. He's got really small hands, too. I mean, he's not hes not a big person at all. No, and his production is probably better than what he'll be drafted, but I, I don't see a guy like that getting drafted because no team's going to look at him and be like, well, we've got a role for a guy who's 6 feet, 278. Like, that size of player doesn't exist. Probably been a no. linebacker back in the day, or uh, I don't even know what. Yeah, I mean, it could have been a 
Or why don't you lose 10 pounds and you'll be a thumper between the tackles run stopper yeah. with a neck roll? You know, I mean, like, eh, that doesn't, we don't have those guys anymore. He's not going to help you on special teams. For some reason, LeVon Kirkland's on a tour of talking with podcasters and, and being interviewed a lot. So I've seen him a few a few times recently on different accounts on Twitter and seen the old photos of Levant Kirkland. And I, I, he's ridiculously big. It's so easy to forget how, and we talked earlier about the size and how much people are changing. Uh, he's, he was bigger than Derek. I mean, how big was he? Plus he had the, the number 99 too. He was massive. Right. He was absolutely huge. What, what were his dimensions? Well, bigger than what's on the back of his football card. <laughs> Right. I'll just tell you that. I mean, people that covered the team that I know really well, there's rumors that he nearly got the 300 and wow. could still cover. I mean, he was a really good player too. And I saw him, he didn't know who I was. And I wasn't covering the Steelers at the time. I was actually working for ESPN. And he and I sat next to each other on this tiny little plane leaving Mobile. And I'm a big dude. I'm 280-ish. And he's put on weight since his playing days. I felt like the plane on our side was like leaning, you know, like <laughs> like us two sitting next to each other. And I paled in comparison to him. I felt uh, like the, the plane was like pushing right the whole time. LeVon Kirkland. So looking it up here. One of my favorite Steelers, by the way. I didn't, didn't plan on talking about LeVon today, but man. And we nailed what, it. Go, with- go highlight his YouTube stuff. He, he plays coverage. He kills people. I mean, I'm not sure he couldn't play today. Uh, we nailed it with the comp, too, with Darius Stills. 6'1", 270 is what LeVon Kirkland was listed as. Uh, and as you, as you mentioned, definitely played over that size, especially later in his career. But how about this? This is why it's a big man's game, right? He played 16 games every single season of his career from 1992 to 2002. Uh, he started 13 games. He didn't start his first year at all. In his second year, started 13 games. Then he started. Then he missed two games his entire career from '94 to 2002. He missed. He missed two starts, but played and appeared in every single game. He's a great player, and he's like the Steelers' tenth best linebacker in their history. He's just one of those players you remember. I remember from oh, my man. childhood yeah. being like, "That's a that's a unique human being right there." 99 middle linebacker. I don't get why he is what he is, but I love that he exists. Yes, exactly. And special. I didn't plan on talking about LeVon today, but man, he was one of my faves in that era for sure. Absolutely. In fact, uh, you can go tune into Locked on Seahawks. Uh, he was a former Seahawk as well as a Steeler for a very short time. And uh, Corbin Smith had a chat with him on that podcast. So if you want to hear from LeVon wow. Kirkland, go to Locked on Seahawks, I believe, on today's or yesterday's episode and see what he's up to. All right. We're out of time here. Good stuff. The linebackers were Kevin Green, Greg Lloyd, <laughs> Chad Brown, and Levon Kirkland. That's unbelievable. They're man. like the Saints group, you know? I mean, that's why I chose the Steelers when I was playing Tecmo Super Bowl, right? I, love I bet. That. I, I bet. love that linebacker. Woodson group. in the back of there. Yeah, oh, not yeah. a bad defense. Picking off balls with Woodson. Uh, are there any more defensive tackles in the draft that you want to highlight here before we, we close eh, this round? Not really. I mean, Bobby Brown and Marvin Wilson are two guys that might be better pros than, you know, that have some upside to them. But I I don't like this class. I believe Bobby Brown and Marvin Wilson were both people that had successful R&B careers as well. Bobby Brown did. Yeah, (laughs) I like that. Uh, By the (laughs) way, Bobby Brown looking for size, but with a little length too, 6'4", 321. Big, heavy hands. You know, right. I mean, he's more of the prototypical, maybe a Jerron Reed type. Mm, I like it. At okay. best. At best. All right. You heard it here. 
Darius Stills going to the Steelers. Put put him at middle linebacker with a uh, with a with number in the nineties. Yeah, let's do it. There you go. All right, good stuff. <laughs> defensive tackle class. We'll be back with some more NFL draft rankings on the defensive side of the ball tomorrow, breaking down all the latest news. Don't forget to check out the ultimate mock draft as well, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Be back tomorrow. Peacock and Williamson.